What's up, guys? This is Cannon Brown from the podcast called The Show. I want to quickly tell you about the three other podcasts in the Barra Media Podcast Network. We've got Legendary Mindset with Jake P. Richardson, The Keeper Pin with Maddie Caldwell and Jenna Wheeler. We've got Mine, The Show with Cannon Brown, and of course, the one you're listening to now, Cattle Pros with Jake Scott. If you like Cattle Pros, check out any of the three other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, and join the 40,000 other livestock enthusiasts that listen to us monthly. I want to ask you a question. How confident are you in your ability to judge and evaluate cattle and then describe what it is that you're seeing to someone else? You know what I mean, like put into words what it is that you like or don't like about an animal. Well, if it's a struggle for you, then I've got some fantastic news. You are not alone, my friend, and we are here to help. One thing that we hear all the time is, you know, I know what I like, I just don't know how to say it. I can't put it into words. Well, listen, folks, no one is born with the knowledge, especially when it comes to judging cattle. And unless you've had some kind of formal training or teaching in livestock judging, then you too probably wrestle with finding the right words to describe what it is you're seeing when you look at cattle. Well, to tackle this, today we're bringing in none other than Master Cattle Evaluator Dave DeWello from Pine Bluffs, Wyoming. Dave's going to walk us through a complete cattle evaluation. I'm talking about from the bottom up and from the front back, we're going to cover every single square inch of a bovine animal. And our goal is for you to become, at the end of this podcast, a better evaluator and communicator so that the next time you need to make breeding and selection decisions for your cow herd, you'll be better equipped to do it. I'm excited and fired up to bring you this fantastic episode with Dave Duello on Cattle Pros. Well, first and foremost, Mr. Dave Duello of Pine Bluffs, Wyoming, I want to tell you thank you for joining the uh, show today and officially welcome you to the Pal- to the Cattle Pros podcast. I appreciate you being with us. Well, thanks, Jake. I uh, appreciate you offering and asking me to. I've enjoyed listening to your program. Hey, we're proud to know that you're listening. I appreciate that. Let's start by giving our listeners a little background about you and Duello Cattle Company. Now, from what I know, and, and you fill in some blanks for me here, but you are kind of just everywhere in this cattle business today as far as the cattle you guys are turning out there in Wyoming. I know from seeing your sales in Denver that you really are turning out some elite Simital and Charley cattle, some Maine and Jew cattle, but I know on the other side of things, you also crank out quite a few really high-quality club calves because you happen to sell some of those to a, a little neighbor girl of ours that's done quite well. So tell us a little bit about the breeding program. Well, uh, you you pretty well hit the nail on the head. I mean, we, uh, uh, we'll, we, we, we'll breed on, either put embryos in or AI, 525 cows and heifers this, this year. I see. Uh, the herd is, is, uh, is, is, is principally... Maine Angus, semi-Angus, semi-Maine, all low percentage cattle. I've uh, got uh, a fair number of, of Charlotte composites in the last several years. Actually, I mean, the bulk of my, the, the, the real focus of, of my deal uh, is making the composite females uh, that go into our, go into our production sale, Western Elite uh, uh, 
a female sale. It's a stock show, typically. Um, uh, those cattle that got the look uh, that they can raise a percentage uh, percentage breed heifers uh, and uh, and show steers, but most of them uh, are are genetically clean of all the defects, so they can use them ramped up hot rod bulls, mm-hmm. uh, double dirty, and every, everything. And it's really been good to us. Uh, uh, the people keep coming back. I, it's kind of unique at my house. Uh, I, I I can use what I use whatever breeds uh, I want in whatever percentages I want. Uh, don't really worry about what breed they are, but if they're productive and if they look right and if they generate, uh, and it just leaves the whole whole world at, uh, of access. Most of us get boxed into one breed or maybe two breeds, and that just sounds refreshing the way you describe that, to have the freedom and the flexibility to just – Make some good ones, and it sounds like that's what you're doing. Yeah, sure trying to. You know, it's always a a kind of a fun stop for me when we're at the National Western Stock Show. Usually there on Herd Bull Alley, you've got a big display set up with one of your featured lots, a bull or a female or something. And I've got to ask you before we get into the nuts and bolts of what we really had you on the show today for, but give us some reaction to the big news about the National Western Stock Show. It sounds like... Uh, because of concerns from the pandemic, uh, that we're not going to have it this year. What's your reaction? Bad news for me. Uh, you know, we, we this would have been our 12th sale there. Uh, we've sold in excess of seven million dollars in the last in the last 11 years wow. at the stock show. Uh, uh, not even counting what we've paid for commissions and feed and yardage uh, and etc. Uh, we we pay that great expense to have access to the world's greatest crowd. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm frankly unsure what we're going to do, uh, Jake, at this point. Well, uh, there will be something, uh, yeah. whether, whether it's private treaty uh, or online or whether we move the cattle, something will happen uh, for any of our customers that's listening uh, that you're going to have access uh, to the to our, to our product as you have the last 12 years. Well, that's good news to hear, and I know that's a relief for a lot of your customers. At the time of, uh, of us recording this, Dave, we're talking in late September here. I know people listen to this podcast at all different times, but um, the rumor mill is pretty is pretty hot right now with a buzz that there's going to be something or maybe a couple of somethings that pop up as a replacement uh, for not only the show, but maybe potential venues for sales too. And, you know, it, we're so attached to tradition, and the National Western is one of the greatest one of the greatest, uh, without argument. But it's also kind of exciting to think about. Maybe there will be something new, and and sometimes these uh, disruptions cause the greatest um, uh, chances for new opportunities and new successes. So I'm sure you're keeping your ear to the ground for these uh, details as well, right? Yeah, yeah, sure, we sure are, Jake. Uh, uh, Bruce and I talked a good while yesterday at length, uh, you know, I, I'm not ready to make a decision until I, I get a little better feel for what might come, you know? And, yeah, right. And, and I agree with you. I think there'll be more than one something that, that, that tries to replace a part of Denver. Yeah. Maybe now, maybe this year, maybe, maybe for a long time to come. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but let's get back to your background a little bit. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, I know you just have a tremendously rich background in collegiate livestock judging both both as a student member of a team and then later as a coach. Fill in that timeline a little bit for us. Uh, I, 
I judged uh, in college uh, in uh, uh, 1986. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be the, the same age and at the same university with, with, four, with four, five, or six, seven great guys. Uh, and even more importantly, we, we were fortunate to have Chris Skaggs join Iowa State staff. Uh, oh, wow. That year, uh, the year prior to that. Okay. Uh, we were his second team. Um, we were national champions in, in 86. I, uh, I was a high individual, won Cattle and Reasons in Kansas City. Nice. Uh, was second high individual in Louisville, won Cattle and Reasons again, and we were national champion team uh, uh, as, a, as a team. Uh, pretty dominant, actually. Uh, we had a great year, uh, and, and a lot of, a lot, that led to a lot of other uh, real positive things. After I finished that year, Skaggs asked me uh, to kind of help him and travel with him some on the, the 87 team. Uh, as I was approaching graduation with my undergrad, uh, Dr. Gene Rouse and Doyle Wilson, Dr. Wilson, uh, approached me about, about uh, starting in uh, graduate school in animal breeding, beef cattle breeding, uh, and uh, to take over uh, behind Chris. Uh, as a livestock judging team coach. And so uh, at a pretty young age, 1988, my first team uh, right out of the box, uh, we started with a bang and won Denver, the first <laughs> the first, first, first deal out of the gate uh, without a junior college transfer student, all in-house kids. Is that right? They're That's hard, amazing. So you started from scratch. Kids. Uh, but they, they also ended their year in a dominant format. Uh, they were national champions and Scott Griner. Uh, was a high individual in Louisville that day, uh, who, who a few years later um, took the team over after uh, I decided to hang it up, finish my graduate degree, and, and move on with my education. Uh, I was fortunate enough in four years of coaching to have two national champion teams, uh, wow. to be on one, uh, and to help Scott start uh, the next team, the first his first team, also won Louisville as a national champion team. So they're, they're, they're over, over a relatively short period of time. And I, I might mention something interesting. The year at the, at the judging team banquets, uh, Harlan Ritchie always did the history uh, of, the, of the international, of the national collegiate judging contest. Oh, sure, and it's sure. something I could listen to uh, for days on end. I, uh, I picked up something different every time. But in 1986, Iowa State University had more national champion judging teams than any, than any school in history. But they hadn't had one for 40 years. And the 40-year team was in Louisville to celebrate their 40th anniversary of a national champion team the day that we started that tradition over again. Uh, and, and, and between Griner and Skaggs and I, uh, I think we had five in the next eight or nine. How cool um, is that? That must have been quite a celebration with the 40-year yeah. team there and then another championship on, uh, titled to your name. That's, that is incredible. Awesome. Yeah, it really, it really was awesome. Yeah, the judging experience is awesome, and we're huge fans of it here on the podcast. And, you know, we could do a separate podcast with you, Dave, I think, about since then all the steer and heifer shows you've judged across the United States and internationally. But uh, I think it's fair to say you've hit about all of them. And that's some of the expertise that we're going to ask uh, uh, you to let us tap into today here on the podcast. So let's just dive right into to what we've got you on the show for today, Dave. And, 
and it is this you know you've laid out very clearly that um, you're having large sales marketing breeding stock from all different breeds and, and backgrounds um, our background as far as I'm concerned here at the ranch you know we're doing that with Angus cattle and uh, real heavily involved on the bull side but one common problem that we see Dave and I bet you run into it too is that our customers when they come to our sales they know what they like they know what they want they know what they're trying to breed but they have such a hard time putting it into words and communicating it and I think it's a struggle for a lot of cattle and maybe more than really want to admit it but learning correct terminology and it's one of the most beautiful things that you learn from livestock judging and then as you become a breeder and, and you have opportunities to judge shows you even get to expand and hone on that terminology but the fact is Dave do you see that on your end I think that there are a lot of cattlemen maybe they're even a little self-conscious about it and reluctant to admit it but they just struggle getting that terminology down to accurately describe what it is they're seeing that they like or don't like. Your thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely I do. Uh, uh, quite often, in fact, you know. Uh, either, either either when they're trying to describe what they want to me or, or, just, or describe what they've got to me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, often become frustrated. It is uh, a frustrating, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how I would describe it. It's a frustration. And I think one of the reasons for that is these guys are super intelligent. I mean, they manage huge livestock operations. They manage huge ranches. A lot of them multi-generational. They've kept it together. That is a whole skill set in and of itself. These guys are super, super smart, and they know cattle. They know them inside and out. They can get them bred. They can get them calved. They can get them marketed. But it's that one little piece of the puzzle that they seem to be missing is that they just can't tell you why. <laughs> and yeah. I really think that they would like an opportunity to improve on their skills. But where do you go to do that? I mean, you don't really go back to college and get on a judging team again 20 years after you left. So let's tackle that today, Dave. Let's try and jump in there and do that because... I think one reason that you know people want to be able to do that, but there's a lot of value in that because it gives buyers a heck of a lot more confidence when they're going out to select new genetics if they can communicate to you, Dave Duello, to us at Krebs Ranch, what the strengths and weaknesses are in their program as it exists today, and then let us help them and assist them in getting the right genetics to complement where they're at and move them in a, in a positive direction. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I I couldn't agree more. Um, I I guess my uh, my addition to that might be uh, so many of them, so many of them just go off by themselves because of uh, the, the mm. uncomfortable part of it, you mm -hmm. know, uh, and uh, and maybe 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 don't share that, or you can't pry it out of them, uh, depending on how well you, how well we know each other, you know what I mean. And who might be listening? <laughs> and the consequence of that is sometimes I think those people make bad decisions be because of a hesitancy to just come and say, "Hey, like, you know, let's help me a little bit here. Let's walk through this together, talk about it." And you know, I think from a seller standpoint, what buyers don't always realize um, is how willing we are to help. I mean, we want to. We've bred these things, we've calved them, we've raised them, we've lived with them their whole life. And if you're dealing with a good, reputable breeder, they're not going to just try and get you something for the sake of getting you something. They want to see you get the right one. For sure. 
you know, and I think they'll share that with you. So let's just jump into this evaluation of livestock. And Dave, as a coach, you know, I've laid it out here a little bit, but I want you to feel free to jump in here too. I think generally um, when you're talking about evaluating cattle, you can evaluate them from two main angles. And the first is a side view, and the second is a rear view. And then third to that, we may add movement. And, and when you see the cattle on the walk, an evaluation there. So if we were to say, Dave, let's start with that side view. And sometimes you'll hear that in cattle circles referred to as the profile view. Um, let's talk about when an animal's standing, what do you look for from the ground up? Let's just start right with those feet and legs, Dave. Jump in here and tell us what it is that you want to see or what you want to avoid on an animal in terms of feet and leg selection. Well, I, I mean, I, I think the I think the feet issue uh, is just becoming more and more and more and more critical because it it doesn't matter what breed or what club calf bull or what cross breeds uh, you were talking about. I personally think we got more bad feet than we've we've had in my lifetime. Um, I think that has something to do with pushing the envelope in some other areas, whether that be numerical or, or, or genetically enhanced things, uh, whether it be an, uh, a, a full core press for marbling or muscle or sing, any, of the, any of the single trait things uh, tends, tends to lead us away from feet and function and soundness uh, to some degree. Um, you know, I, I guess, I guess, to me, that a big, a, a big, a big foot that, that's uniform in size, uniform in, in toe size and length. The cattle have got some heel underneath them. Uh, they got some wear on them. Uh, that uh, you know, I, I, we don't think we need to have feet like Clydesdales, uh, but certainly they need to have feet uh, that matches their bone work and, and, and matches their their, their compositional uh, kind of uh, makeup or design. Uh, and then, and then the ne you know, the next join up uh, is equally important. Um, the cattle got some angle and some set to their pastern or, or, or foreleg, some flex in their knee, the right kind of set and clean and clean hocked. Uh, cattle that uh, just that, that, that the angles come right, you know. Each one, each one has uh, has an ideal and, and, and an extreme on, on either direction uh, in often cases. Well, let's stop right there. Let's just talk about that, Dave. So there, you laid out very clearly what the good example of a correct foot and, and a correct angle to a pastern looks like. But if we're really going to fully understand this, let's also talk about what the opposite of that looks like. And, man, I can remember when I first got in the Angus breed, um, the feet problem were becoming an issue then. It wasn't so much with the deformities of these toes that hook or screw or something, but they were so small. They were, yeah. I heard the expression used, a teacup-sized foot or teacup-footed animal, but they were very small and very round, and a lot of those pasterns came straight from their ankle down. Yes. Uh, and that's the opposite of what you described, right? Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. A lot of them, I mean, a lot of them, this little old shallow, just shallow, narrow, petite-footed uh, things that uh, that I don't work in our world. And heel depth, I've heard people scratch their head about heel depth, but you know, a, a way that I think people can analyze that, back in those days that I'm describing, Dave, and this is a decade ago, but you would see cattle that were so shallow heeled 
their hairline on the back of their foot would touch the ground. Absolutely. There was virtually no heel there. And I think that's, you know, it doesn't take very much imagination to understand the problems that leads to. And that's what's so important, I think, that people need to understand. This isn't just a perfect animal we're chasing. There's an actual function and a purpose behind the reason we were selecting for this type of confirmation, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it, in any of our businesses, it's raising bulls, and, and you do that uh, in a lot, lot bigger way than I do. But it's, it's certainly not any different on the cow side of things. So, right. You know, the cow are out of it doesn't. It it doesn't make a damn if you if they got to recover multiple sections or if they're in half acre traps. The truth of the matter is, unpractical, unfunctional is unpractical and not functional. And you and 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 babying will never cover it up for very long. Yeah, it's going to lead to some problems. Okay, we talked about the foot in the pasture, and let's work our way up that leg. Now we're talking about front legs. Let's work our way up the cannon bone, and let's talk about the knee joint. So talk to us about knee placement. You used a, a pretty cool term there to describe the pastern, and that was angles. But what are we looking for in terms of angles when we get up into that knee? I mean, I think the most important thing is, is, the, is the flex of their knee. Uh, obviously, the angle that comes out of their shoulder, the flexibility in their knee, and the, and the cushion to their pastern are all a function of the, of, in, mo in most cases are pretty well all tied together. I'm a big believer that the cannon bone needs to come pretty near center out of their knee, uh, and, and, and the cattle that can, can, I guess the easiest way for me to see it or say it, is, is, is one that walks uh, that can pick up their knee and take yeah. a long step and, and, and reach out with their front feet, uh, and that don't happen with them offset cannons or a big bulging round knee joint uh, that's that's too perpendicular, you know, to the shoulder in the pasture. Yeah, and I like the way you describe that because it kind of all comes out when you put them in motion and you watch the cattle walk. So these sometimes minute things that we're describing, when those get compounded one with the other, one problem with the other, that's going to result in a stride that's much shorter and choppier when we see them on the move. And like you said, a, a coarser knee joint, a straighter knee joint, and pastern. Those cattle just can't reach out and take a long step, can they? Yeah, absolutely not. And the other, the other thing, there's a lot of great foot trimmers in the world, <laughs> uh, but uh, the, 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 the cattle that are truly not built right uh, you, can, you, you can make them stand still right, but you're never going to make them completely walk right because they'll flip their front feet or paddle them out or paddle them in at that knee joint. You can't trim that knee joint. Uh, and, and That's why I'm such a big fan of, of cattle that, that, that their knees fit their bone and, and they're centered in their skeleton uh, with some flexibility and some reach. That doesn't get talked about enough, Dave. What you said about the cannon bone coming out of the center of that knee and and I think the best way to to analyze that is if you were standing right in front of that animal looking them eye to eye and you look straight down at those front legs so imagine that imagine their front toes are pointing right towards you yep. and, and I bet if if somebody's listening to this that's a pretty good cowboy and's been around a horse a little bit you'll see this a lot in horses those cannon bones tend to float around and they'll set on the outside of a horse's knee instead of coming right in the center of it but we can even see that in cattle, can't we? Absolutely, you know, and and, and, it, and two variations of it, in my opinion, uh, the the cannon bone as it as it is is comes out of the center of the knee 
And then the angle of with which the cannonball goes to the pastern will cause two different variations in how they walk. And as much as I hate it, judging halter quarter horses in, uh, in, in the collegiate contest, uh, I learned as much about what we're talking about from some of them big-time horse guys that Skaggs took us to and let the breeders talk and the guys that judge the shows talk and look at the, and look at the very variation in them horses. Uh, it, it really stuck in my mind, Jake, and it applies to every species. That, that's exactly where I was going with this, too. And I'm glad you brought that up. You can go across species, and we can talk about pigs, we can talk about horses, but you can learn a lot about structure from studying some of these other animals. And, you know, a horse structures everything because they're used for, for work, for riding, for whatever it is. And, and with the confinement um, operations now that a lot of pigs are raised in, you can imagine the importance of structure there. And you, that's a great point, Dave. You can learn a lot from other species. Yeah. I tell you, uh, going back to college days, I learned more about true structure in animals from Al Christian judging hogs, and I was lucky to be at a place where he was one of the most one of the most incredible evaluators of livestock. Period, and judged the judged the big time for 40, 50 years, uh, and and he was a legend. Uh, he, the, the swine herdsman at ISU, and he would beat it in your head, and to, and if you didn't get it, he'd go back to the barn and get another class, and you might be there at ten o'clock at night if it wasn't. It, it, you never left until, until you got it was, right. And then, and I'll never ever be able to thank him enough for that. Yeah, it brings back memories. I could tell stories too, but some of those great swine herdsmen were just students yeah. of the game, you know, and masters of it as well. So yeah, great opportunities to learn from those guys. Let's stay on those front legs for just one more question. And I, I tried to paint the picture where you're standing right in front of a of an animal. You're looking them eye to eye, and you're looking now down at their feet. Tell me about the direction you want those front feet to point. Are they supposed to point straight at you? Um, I'll tell you, we've had people on this podcast, Dave, that would argue that animals with some true muscle and shape are probably going to turn out a little, and there's uh, some forgiveness of that. Where are you at on that? I mean, I, I guess I see, in a perfect world, I, I, I think they need to be pretty well straightforward. But I don't think you hang up on, on, on miniature or minute de deviations in anything when we, we just got to put up the big picture all together. If that one toes out a little or toes in a little, but it's got, but it's got flex in his joint, he can reach with his front foot, uh, he can cover some country with his step, and it's comfortable in what's going on, I, I'm not hung up on, on perfectly perfectly square, you know, straight ahead, not straight ahead. That's where I'm at, uh, I'm, I'm probably more critical of un, uneven toe size yes. and things of, of that nature than, than whether they're absolutely 100% straightforward. I like the way that Kirk Sterwalt put it, though. The If we're going to take that to an, an extreme, what we don't want to see, and this is how he described it, was when it looks like uh, one has put their shoes on the wrong feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that's too much. That's I think we can when they're kind of playing opposite directions. Yeah. That's yeah. taking it to a point where we do then have a problem that's going to relate to their movement and the function and the the longevity For of sure. an animal. All right, that covered front legs really good. Let's go to the back end of the animal. Let's talk about these back legs. And Dave, I'd like you to start this time 
Okay, we, we started from the hoof and worked our way up on the front legs. This time, I want you to paint the picture from the hip down. What are we looking for in a correctly designed back leg? I mean, I, I think uh, the old the old judging team 101, uh, you know, if we, drop a, if we could drop a string from the animal's pin bone through his hock uh, into the ground, um, it, 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 it should touch the top of his hock leave his pasture, drop straight down behind his hoof. Uh, you know, the, if, they're, if they're too straight, uh, it's a problem. Um, nine most of the time, uh, if, if there's too much set to that hock, it's, it's not aesthetically, aesthetically pleasing, mm -hmm. but it, it, it very rarely uh, relates to much of a soundness issue. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm... I'm 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 crazy for them real good legged ones. Oh, me too. I think flexing just... their hock and, and they got some bone and some substance and, and stand up and 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 I think uh, particularly in the show in the show cattle world and the show steer world, but I think these show heifers too. Um, these cattle, these cattle, there's too high a percentage of them that are that are just wrong in their pasture. Um, the cattle got to have some flex. Uh, and got to sit down with some spring uh, in that joint, in my opinion. And, you know, we're, we're identifying and we're shining a, a spotlight today on some of these problems, and you said it right off the bat, and I agree. It's not a breed problem. It's a cattle problem. It's, yeah. it's, it's now crossing through all breeds, all segments of the business, where we see these funky-shaped uh, feet, um, you know, toes that are doing crazy things. And it can come up pretty quick. The good news is, is it can be bred and corrected pretty quickly too. But we have to be real diligent about it. And we're in an era right now. I want to stress with what Dave's teaching on and telling you is critically important. Critically important to the soundness and the longevity of a cow herd. And I don't care if we're talking about commercial cows, feedlot cattle. We're talking about a registered heart herd, obviously, but this is this is a, one of the foundational pillars that I think we need some real discipline in right now as cattlemen. And um, yeah, that, I love the, the the example you gave about dropping a string from that pin bone down. And again, you know, I can I can almost imagine that even with a horse. You know, the the the, the way that those horse legs sit in there, an animal's leg, a, a cow's leg rather. But you pegged it about how much that can add. To the balance and eye appeal of the whole animal, right? Absolutely does. Because Absolutely. it will, uh, the way that leg sets, Dave, that's going to have an impact on how that hip sets as well, right? The whole, the whole top line, the hip structure, all of them. Yeah, when that leg goes out, I mean, it throws a lot of things off. Yes, sir. All right, now, here's really where the rubber's going to hit the road. Let's imagine now that that animal is in motion, Okay. What are we going to look for? We talk about length of stride. Uh, we talk about things like width of stride. But I want you to put a little meat on those bones a little bit. Like how much is a long stride or, or what would qualify as a short stride? Give us some, some boundaries here on that, Dave. I, I mean, in my opinion, and most of the, again, judging 101 kind of in a perfect world situation, uh, that animal ought, ought to come pretty darn close to putting his back footprint where his front one left. Ah, okay. Uh, you know, he, he should cover his track uh, if, if they'll do that or close to it. Um, I think uh, for me, that's a that's a that's a pretty good indicator. 
Um, I don't. Again, I think you. I think if you just draw lines and say you got to do all of these things with perfection, you, you, you're, you're going to miss the big picture, Jake. Uh, but again, I, I guess that's the first the, the, the first thing in my mind in terms of length of stride. I think uh, I think uh, to me maybe uh, width of stride is maybe. Maybe a, a, a function of structure, but it's also a function of muscularity, and it's mostly a function of di- of true dimension or of true skeletal width. Okay, uh, explain that. That the cattle. That the cattle uh, I mean, I I got a different view on the word balance, but uh, we'll, we'll get. I guess we'll get to that. Um, as important as width of stride, I mean, the width of stride needs to match the, match the width of the skeleton, the width of the body, in, mm-hmm. in, in general. Uh, I have a bigger hang-up with with deviation in stride as viewed from the rear, where they they, they want to swing their hocks in uh, mm-hmm. when they walk, or mm-hmm. cattle that walk outside of their body wall, um, uh, outside of their track, and, and are are really clumsy and, and cumbersome and struggle. Uh, you know, just just to just to move. And in general, if that animal don't look comfortable on the move, he probably isn't comfortable on the move, and it, it, it's it's probably a, a pretty big disadvantage. And see, from a cattle judging standpoint, that's one of the things that I think is really fun. Is okay, you can almost see these little red flags pop up on parts of the animal that can cue you to know that there's a structure problem somewhere that you need to identify. So like even in their top line, and we're talking yep. about top line being like as you study their backbone more or less. Sometimes you'll see cattle that are high topped, you know, yep. over their rib cage, they'll raise it up, or in their loin, they'll really dip it. But all that relates back to something going on at the ground, right? Absolutely. In my opinion it does. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yep. that, that's where judging gets fun. Together. I mean they the the, the the link, the the set to their the set, the angles to their joints, the set to their feet, the set to their hocks, the, their flexibility. Uh, it, an animal that that's inflexible in his in his hock or pastern and back leg is probably just what you said too. He's he's also tight in his hip mm-hmm. and or tight down his top. Mm-hmm. Uh, it almost always all comes together. Yeah. Yep, those are great signs to look for. Well, I'm excited to hear some of your thoughts on balance, and you started to go off on that a little bit, but let's kind of jump now from structure into some actual evaluation of the phenotype of cattle. And when we talk about phenotype, sometimes we use these words as if everyone understands them, but we're talking about the physical makeup of the animal, their skeletal pattern, their design, their outline, all those things come in the phenotype, and Dave, I'm not going to get ahead of you here, but just for our listeners who are trying to learn um, the way all those parts and pieces fit together, so let's kind of think about the animal, and we're still on the side view, okay, we're still looking at them from the profile, let's kind of think about that animal in three parts, a front, a middle, and a rear. Dave, walk us through the front third of the animal, tell us what we should be looking for from shoulders forward. I think I think uh, uh, certainly one that, that that whether it's a bull or or a breeding female or a steer uh, that the, that the animal's head fits what they are uh, that that a, that a bull's not feminine headed that the heifer's not masculine headed uh, and that's a little bit hard to describe uh, they, they, uh, a show steer 
his head his head will oftentimes tell you a lot of stories uh, again about true skeletal dimension and 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 structural width uh, and also maybe that whether or not uh, everybody wants to use the word fresh in a different way but a, a big headed old stale bugger steer uh, is uh, a turnoff from the first view of, of the front of the animal you know <laughs> I, I'm I'm a big I mean I I think cattle gotta have some length and cleanliness of neck. More importantly, their neck's got to set down in their shoulder and into the, and couple back to their shoulder and spine, right? Uh, come as high out of their, their chest floor uh, as, as we can get them. Uh, I think they need to be clean fronted, uh, maybe not maybe not Holstein neck, whistle fronted, uh, you know, just pure choke neck, uh, but certainly a clean neck, uh, a, a smooth design, blended nice through the shoulder. The shoulder couples into the neck and back into the full rib into the spine and the upper rib cage and out the top of your shoulder uh the, the next set will uh will, will 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 be important all right i want to back you up just a little bit because everything that we're talking about today folks relates to function and productivity in some form or fashion you think well, okay how would the head and neck you know ever do that but dave you said something right there and again we're, we're in an era right now where we've maybe seen some extremities in that cleanliness and tightness of front end, and I forget exactly how you worded it, but you said not dairy fronted or choke fronted. But why don't you want to see that? I mean, uh, isn't cleaner better? Explain that a little. Oh, I, I mean, if I, I, I don't know that I can describe it, what I'm really getting at. I mean, there, you, there's an awful lot of these just totally freaked out front end cattle that that. Uh, you take them out of the show environment, and their neck probably matches their body depth and the rib shape and the rib cage and the function and the long term uh, the productivity. Yes, yeah. Uh, not every one, but most of them. Well, that's exactly what I wanted you to point out, and I, I think that relates, in my experience, to some doability. Um, Darn right. I, I've heard this. I, I'm borrowing a term from uh, from a friend who calls those real whistle necked ones that that don't have just any shape to their skull. He calls them slick-jawed. And, uh, you know, I've heard people make fun of judges sometime for describing the jaw or the muzzle or the brow on an animal. But the fact is, um, um, you know, you can tell a lot just by looking at the head. And you touched on that. But even to the, their ability to feed and develop yep. and just their thriftiness and doability, I mean, some of those real Coke bottle, pencil-headed ones, they're not going to be the good doers, are they? Not my, they, that ain't my deal. No, I'm with you there, Jack. That, that, that stuff won't work. Yeah. So getting back to those shoulders, man, this is something that took me forever to figure out. And you got to realize I'm a first-generation cattle guy. I, I didn't grow up with a big fancy pedigree. I didn't grow up on a big ranch. So I had to figure this stuff out, you know, from school on and from being – on livestock judging teams, but there's a couple of things, Dave, that from my own standpoint that I struggled with understanding. First of all was the slope of the shoulder and understanding what that was and why it, why it was important, but also the coarseness or the smoothness, those two being opposites, of the shoulder. So can you teach on that a little bit? I mean, the straightness of shoulder, uh, I in, in in most all cases, uh, I mean, from the top of their shoulder center of the top of their shoulder blade, 
to the to the point of their shoulder, uh, we, we've got to have some angle in that. And if that's too upright or too nearly straight up and down, the same thing is going to be that we talked just a minute ago. That bugger's also going to have a knee issue. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think from a from a from a teaching standpoint, I think it's easier for me to get students to see what what a first impression of an animal standing still, what the right kind of angulation or slope to that shoulder should be by letting them watch them walk and, and watch, understand how they walk and equate that to that standing still look. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, to, 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 to be comfortable that the animal's shoulder blades further back on their spine the point of their shoulder uh, is out over their knee and that their knee has some flexibility to it or some rise uh, in it when, when, when it walks. It doesn't just want to drag its front feet. All of those things tend to, tend to come together. How do you uh, physically evaluate the coarseness or smoothness of a shoulder? When we hear those terms thrown around, what is it that you're looking for? What is it that you're seeing that you like or don't like in regards to, to, the, to the shoulder? I mean, I think the shoulder needs to, to fit the rest of the animal. The, 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 the shape or width or, or dimension of rib needs to blend smooth into that shoulder. Uh, 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 the, the top line and the muscularity of the animal uh, needs to blend with the, with, with the shoulder. Is it true, Dave, do you believe that um, a smoother made animal that's maybe not extremely powerful, you know, you expect to see a, a pretty smooth and refined shoulder on them, but are you a guy that's a little more forgiving on one of these big, powerfully built animals to, to have a little more shoulder and chest in them? Where do you land on that? you damn right I do. Uh, and, 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 I've, and I'll be very, I've been very vocal about it. Um, I mean, I, uh, you're going to have to have a little. And I, I think this, right now, it seems so, that there's such a craze in the show ring uh, of business with all these breeds to show these ultra-flat-necked, ultra-flat-shouldered, uh, loose-made, level, silhouette, pretty cattle that ain't got a, that ain't got enough punch to survive in the, in the outside world. I call them Harry Holsteins. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I I think that's damaging. Uh, I really do. Yeah. Uh, I, I, in, in our world, having to make a living with them, yeah. uh, and, and somebody to make a living with progeny out of them, they ultimately got to end up in the commercial business. And those A-frame shaped super flat-shouldered, angular, ultra-angular uh, things, they will generate. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying there, Dave. And and even from a judge's standpoint, that's um, it's, it's probably a lot of judges, if we want to just point the finger right back at ourselves, who have made those cattle popular. But I think it's the judges who can also correct that a little bit sure. by by choosing to use cattle with a little more shape. I heard this said one time, and I agree with it, from a judge. We're doing these kids a disservice when we teach them that those are the kind that are going to make cows for them because when they do turn them out, they're going to get a pretty stark reality check. For sure. Those things, Absolutely. I agree with you. They're, it's not a survivability. All right, now this is going to be kind of contrary here. We love if it's a if it's a weekend and we got some time off, man. We're gonna fire up the smoker and we're gonna cook some good meat. And I love to cook brisket. 
<laughs> so you would think you'd want a lot of brisket if you're a guy like me, you know. But where, what do we look for, uh, all jokes aside, what do we look for in the brisket of an animal when we're evaluating the quality of a front end? I mean, I, I guess to me it's probably uh, uh, that there's not a lot of it out in front of the front leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually when it, when that is, when it is there, uh, it's, it's one of two things. It's just loose skin or it's chuck full of fat. And that's the more, the, 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 the over conditioned, uh, and then the, that's, that's probably the most common cause, I guess, of, of one that's not, that's, that's not clean and, and upheld between her front legs, uh, and smooth going up into their neck and in front end. And there's all kinds of supplements that claim uh, to be the answer for that uh, in, in this day and age, uh, but again, it's it's uh, it's it's probably a, a, a function of how you manage uh, that animal from a, from a nutrition standpoint. Did we take them to yeah. the bar and let them get fat and globby? Uh, they're just one of those kind, and uh, I don't know that they all need to be devoid of, of of any chest or any in front of their front legs. Uh, because let's face it, in the real world. That's a lot of energy reserve in the, in the, in the old brute cow in the tough times. Uh, it, it all comes from there, Dave. You know, that's very smart, and I've never heard it described like that, to be honest with you, Dave. From a, you know, you, you've seen some pretty brutal winters, and we have too, but uh, some of those things, pretty practically speaking, there's a reason that they're there, even though we breeders may try and change that. There's a reason the yeah. good Lord made them that way. Yeah. You know, as long as they're not just gross, uh, probably not a big deal you know uh the other side of the coin is probably a bigger deal than than we want to admit or even understand because most of those cattle don't have to face the 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 the, the grazing pressure and the, and the environments that ours do jake you know what i mean yeah in uh, small herds get to go in the shed every night uh, that kind of thing yeah well, this is good. Let's keep moving uh, down this animal's side. So we, you've described very nicely what we're looking for in the front third of an animal. Let's talk about the middle third of an animal. And a couple of terms here just to set you up, David, that we, uh, that we talk about is a top line. We talk about body. We talk about depth and capacity. Now, I hear customers... Uh, when they uh, are describing some cattle, talk about the back. You know, I like a real straight back. Well, another term that we use to describe that is the top line, and that's literally if you drew a point from the top of their shoulder to the middle of their back, back to their tail head, in my mind, that's the terminology top line for me. And, and body is their rib from the top of their back to the bottom of their belly. So just some basic terminology I want you to understand as Dave begins to unpack this a little bit, but let's just jump off right there and talk about body and depth because, man, I've heard you at some shows, and I, uh, I you could preach a sermon on some of the things you've said on depth and body, so open that up for us a little bit, Dave. Well, I, I mean, again, I I think it, 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 it probably needs to be taught uh, in, um it probably needs to be taught in in, in uh, it, it's pretty complex, but it's pretty simple. It needs to fit. The animal needs to have some dimension and shape to the top line. That has something to do with the amount of muscle they have, and it has something to do with the shape of their upper rib cage. Um, and and I think that's best viewed uh, initially 
right behind their shoulder and how it progresses into their center body back into the rump or hip hip design and that should become progressively wider okay uh, i think that that, that that animal needs some width of barrel some width of center rib and as importantly i think it needs to have some true dimension to the heart girth right in behind their front leg um there's, there's too many cattle um that, that are big in the center of their belly tight behind their shoulder tight in the center of the heart in the heart girth drawn up in the flank and that's belly that's not body when the widest point of that of that animals of center section is two-thirds of the way down their belly uh and and, and they're narrower all from that, that point all towards the top it's it's just a managed belly that's not body and i think it has a lot to do with function and hardiness and and and, and just survivability productivity and, and function so much good in what you said right there and i want to make that as simple as we can for people who are just beginning to understand how to uh, evaluate cattle i can remember back to my judging days dave maybe this is an example that you use but a mutual friend of ours jerry mcpeak when he talked about those cattle that were tight in behind their shoulder or in their forehead like you described he said it looks like you just put a big rubber band around them right there and pinched them yeah and um you even heard heard the term used before they're pinched in behind their shoulders and uh, boy that does take a lot of dimension and body out of them when those cattle get real narrow up in their heart girth doesn't it absolutely so and 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 and, and it's going to tie 100 percent to the next thing we're going to talk about it, and what I've talked about previously, it's just true, uniform, with the skeleton and dimension. That, that animal's also going to be narrow pin. That animal's also is going to be narrow chested. And that also is going to be narrow track. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's probably, mm -hmm. and he's probably going to have a little bitty narrow head with eyes close together. <laughs> yeah, and, and that just goes back to what we said. You can tell yep. so much about those animals from their head. Um, I like that that picture that you painted of kind of a wedge shape from the point of that shoulder back. I can almost, we all look at cattle from different angles. To me, that's something I can see best kind of when I'm looking at them from behind. And the rib shape that you described that you like, you talked about upper rib shape. But again, for listeners who are just learning, you're describing cattle that have a good arc and curvature and kind of some upper roundness to their rib cage right out of their spine just immediately coming out of the spine with some width and some shape up top but I know especially in some females and and hey we in the Angus breed have been as guilty of this as anybody have almost bred more of a teardrop or a bell shape into their rib cage where it begins actually kind of as you said a-framed at the top gets kind of wide at the bottom but that's not true body is it Dave? belly it's belly and there's a difference in my opinion absolutely yeah. uh yeah yeah I, I love the comparison there and that's important i think there's an area where we've got a some room for growth in the business capacity okay you're talking about um a couple of different areas of dimension you're talking about both depth and this spring or shape of rib expand on that a little more that's where the capacity comes from is that right that's in my in my opinion. That's right, Jake. Yeah. Uh, the cattle just got width, has proportional width in, in all parts of their skeleton, sent through the. I mean, at the base width, 
to the center of their body and, and upon the top line from the shoulder back into the rump. And we would hope that that gets progressively, uh, get not exploding progression, but it progressively gets wider as we go towards the back. And, 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 and I don't know. I mean, the real theory or the, or the real reason, but that's where all the high cuts are at. And mm-hmm. so I guess we would hope from a shape standpoint uh, and a muscle shape standpoint and a skeletal width and a skeletal design standpoint that has to hold that muscularity, you get progressively stronger and bolder. Right on. More powerful. Let's talk about length of body, Dave. Length of spine is a way that you hear that described or length of body. Explain what we're looking for there. I mean, basically, they're going to come in proportions. I mean, uh, I, I think that uh, uh, there's several schools of thought that depend on what part of the show world you're in. Yes, yes. I know where I you're mean, going, and I want you to preach on this. This is good. The, the, the steer boys like them short couple ones because uh-huh. they, can, they can manage weight better, and, 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 the, and the proportion or the or the or the, or the just the assumed things that go together. It's easier to hold a straight top line when it's short. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier to hold uh, weight when it when it's short. Uh, I personally hate them plum short coupled ones. Uh, I'll take one with a little bit of ease in his back way before I take a plum short coupled one. The other thing, them plum short back ones are almost always too straight too straight in their shoulder. Um, mm. if, if, if we go back in time and study the steers, I mean, I think the animals need to have. A, a practical length of body uh, with like a strong level top uh, um, but when we, we get one heavy pregnant uh, and, and coming two years of age and about to freshen whether it's in, a, in the show barn and show ring or in the maternity pen uh, they're gonna have some ease in their back mm-hmm. as long as it's not gr- it's not broken uh, or gross uh, it's not a big deal in my mind but we sell cattle by the pound, and the most of the world does, uh, and them short coupled ones won't weigh up. That's why the steer boys like it. Uh, that's that's why I don't. And I, I think there's one right there that we need to reiterate um, to our to our listeners, especially those of you. You know, we talk a lot about things as they relate to the show world on this podcast. That's the background of a lot of us, but. In the commercial world, in the real world, as we call it, boy, length equals pounds, yep. and pounds pay the bills, and it's uh, it's something you never want to get away from. In my opinion, I don't Dave. think I don't think the show world probably is, is near as as bogged down show steer world as bogged down with that as in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, and not a very long ago, Jake, they had to wait twelve fifty, and everybody scared as hell to take from past twelve seventy five or six or. You know, or something crazy like that. I mean, now these fat cattle uh, are, are, are bigger and heavier than they need to be, and they they convert and perform, and, and I mean, just more efficient. Uh, now that the guys, uh, the show steer world's kind of come a lot more in line. Uh, well, hell, that that take one again, fourteen hundred, mm-hmm. or, or on either side of fourteen hundred, and that's okay and, and good. And so, I don't think it's as big a deal as it was fifteen years ago. Uh, in terms of them trying to keep them short, you know. Um, but there's so many of them describe one, uh, like a, a, a show, st- a club calf mama called me and we'll talk, we'll talk about a cow they to, to buy the race steers out of. Now, she ain't too long-bodied, is she? She's <laughs> a couple. <you know? laughs> As if it's a positive. 
Yeah. Yeah. Really. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. We started this conversation about the middle third of the animal by by explaining the terminology and the definition of the top line. But I want you to break that down a little bit for us now. What are we looking for in a good top line? You, you've already hinted to this a little bit, but let's go a little deeper into that now. I mean, I, I, again, I think, I think that it, it just needs to have the right shape to it, whether you're judging steers or, or breeding cattle. Uh, it makes a difference, but it really don't make a difference. We gotta, they got to have some natural width and, and some semblance or some shape uh, that there is some muscle in their top. Uh, they got a they got a couple from the top out into a big robust root cage. Uh, that animal's top line, in my opinion, needs to have some flexibility. When you watch them walk, the flexibility in their spinal column and in their top line may or may not ma- maintain complete levelness. But when it gets re- the, when it gets hit towards rigidity, it's problems. Yeah, and that goes it's back top, to those feet and legs somewhere. Mostly to, to the feet and legs somewhere. And that animal also is more likely to be tight in the center of the rib or the forerib of the rib cage or the, or the, or the chest and base width. Purgy often comes together. One pet peeve that, and we all have our pet peeves, but at this ranch, something that uh, will get you in trouble as quick as anything is these cattle that break behind their shoulder. And Absolutely. what I saw, Dave, and we're going to go back to the show ring now, but it's applicable in, in any setting. When we made this big move to get these cattle as deep-sided as we could, we did that at the expense of some muscle. And when we lose muscle in their top, they begin to break in behind that shoulder. Are you seeing that? Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, and and there's a we're trying to make sure that we maintain that as it as as much as anything. You talked. You begin to talk about balance a little bit, Dave. I see a lot of balance in cattle in this area of the body, kind of in the middle part of their body. Tell us a little bit about balance. There's there's a lot of customers, especially in the ranch world and the commercial world, that just have a hard time understanding what it is that you're talking about when you say balance. I mean, as, as, as we learned and as we probably taught, uh, balance is, is, and in most people's eyes, Balance is, is, is a word used to describe something that's viewed absolutely only from the profile. Uh, and that is, does the front third match the middle, match the back? Does it blend together? Are they in equal proportions? Does the top line, does the levelness of the top line come close to being as, 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 as a perpendicular line to the to the belly line, uh, or from the flank to the full rib? Um, does... Uh, there's hopefully, whether in steers or in females, I think an animal that, that appears to have more of its body weight or mass in the front third than the back third mm-hmm. is ill-balanced. Again, because we want them uh, smooth and neat in your shoulder, clean neck, progressively wider in their rib, progressively bolder in their top, hopefully to mount to something towards the rear, the rear third or quarter of the animal uh, that is that is in, in principle. Um the high-valued product, uh, and, and so it just all fits together. I, I, I take a, I take a, I take a little a different approach than to balance than just purely from a front view, but it's described. It's it's describing the same thing. I mean, I think that animals, it, its width from front to rear needs to balance. Mm-hmm. I think its depth from front to rear 
needs to balance. I think their proportions from front to rear need to balance. And I think their base width and their bone needs to fit with the rest of, of, of their conformational design to balance. So balance is much more than a, a one-sided or one-dimensional um, uh, thing for you. I mean, it's, it's all-encompassing, if I'm hearing you right. It, it absolutely is. Uh, it absolutely is. You know, and, and and I'm not saying that that you should how you should just describe it, and, and, and everybody needs to see it the same. Uh, but I think that I think I think that's what in a in a in a breeder's eyes, or you know, and the guys trying to make them better. I think it all has to fit. And if we just push the envelope in any one or a couple uh, or a few little places. Things get out of bounds, and maybe it's muscle, and maybe it's volume, and maybe it's width, and maybe it's feet, and maybe it's structure, and maybe it's pretty neck. It needs to fit if we're going to just if we're going to make cattle that are consistently generate. I think balance is a far broader word than a lot of people describe it as. Yeah, and I love the way that you've painted that picture and described that, and that's good. I'm gonna that's something I'm going to concentrate more on to tell you the truth, Dave. Just just your description of that. Um, a, a full-bodied view of it from, from a muscle standpoint, a, a phenotype standpoint. All that really does relate to balance, and I like the way you described that. All right, let, let's move now to the rear third of the animal, and commonly we just would refer to this as the hip. And Now, this is going to sound a little basic, but I, I do want you to unpack this and explain it. The hip, for me, is the length from hooks to pins, but I know there's some people listening that says, okay, wait a minute. Where are the hooks? Where are the pins? Let's just start right there at that level. Explain where the hook bones and pin bones are, and then let's start talking about the importance of, of where those are in relation to each other. I mean, the, the hook bones uh, basically is where the animal's loin uh, uh, connects into his rump structure uh, in, in, into the total hip, uh, and, and the pin bones, uh, basically, easiest described, uh, the 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 two furthest backmost bones right uh, on either side of the animal's tail, whether that be level with the the, the hook bones or or low, uh, uh, you know, or steeper in the rump, uh, in terms in terms of just where they are. I think that I think in our our, our an ideal uh, it would be to have that that animal be fairly well, as level rump uh, as 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 possible or as level. From hooks to pins. Okay. And then talk to us about, um, we hear a lot about not only the levelness, but the width of that hip and the width of those pins. So explain that a little bit, Dave. Again, I think I think it all goes back to skeletal width. And, and very few of them are wider chested than they are wider pinned or, or, or wide chested, narrow pin, narrow chested, wide pin. It, 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 it almost always goes together. We want some width between their pins to indicate some true, some true skeletal width of some power and the ability to have something to hang the right kind of muscle mm -hmm. and something to house the right kind of big volume one that that's, that's got a lot of inner dimension, which hopefully would be related to their ability to consume and their ability to convert and their ability to be an easy keeper. It's all tied together. Pin width, chest width rib width comes hand in hand base width how wide they walk it almost always ties together 
Now, I guarantee you, if you're listening at home, the next thing we're going to talk about, you're going to score a 100 on. This is something that everybody can see, Dave. I bet you saw this your first day of coaching those kids. You can find this. Let's talk about tailhead set. And again, even the novice uh, uh, evaluators can see a real difference in tailhead set. So explain the good and the bad and tell us what's ideal in terms of a tailhead of an animal. I mean, I think it needs to blend. Uh, again, the tailhead uh, going from the hook bones back right in the center of an animal's spine where his tailhead is connected on his spine is as level uh, as level uh, going back and then going straight down uh, towards that string that we dropped from the mm -hmm. pins a little while ago. And we see some of them uh, probably more that pop up out of their spine than we do that are set too far forward or something, but... Um, Man, that is something that if you're at a, if, if I'm showing a customer a bull, it can be really, really a good bull. And even if they're not a master evaluator, everybody can see one of those ugly tail heads that pop up, you know, and nobody likes it, do they? No, I, I don't know anybody that does. It'll get your butt beat at a show. It'll keep you from selling a bull. And I don't blame those guys because you know what they know? That is highly heritable. I mean, if you've got it in your bull, if you've got it in your cow, there's a pretty good chance the calf that they have is going to have a little bit of it, too. Yeah, yeah. It's probably not going to go away real quick. So, folks, like we talk about with all this stuff, uh, this isn't just opinion-based. There's some real reason behind why we select cattle the way we do, and it all uh, goes back to the function and the production that you're going to get out of them. And tailhead example is, is something that's not real probably hard-hitting in terms of economic impact, but aesthetically, it's none of us like it. You know, it's like Dave talked about a big old ugly-headed one. You know, we just it's not something we like. It takes away from their balance, but we can all see those tail heads and, and like Dave said, level and square. All right, let's talk a little bit more about muscle. We're on the back side of this animal. What you've been describing is something we would look at probably from a side view or, again, what we call the profile. Let's just take a few steps now around behind this animal. And let's look over its top. Let's look at its butt from the rear. Let's look all the way to the ground. Describe what it is you're looking for, what you like and what you don't like in that rear view, and especially as it, re as it pertains to muscle. I mean, I, I think starting at the top uh, from a rear view, uh, wide pin set uh, mm -hmm. uh, will, will lead to uh, a shapely, wide, uh, uh, expressive uh, kind of a hip that has some dimension right through the center part of its downward to the center of their stifle uh, and hopefully uh, maintain that amount of muscle uh, into their depth or into the into the twist in the low part of their quarter uh, if that's if that if that dimension and depth and, and robustness doesn't maintain itself as we go down it greatly throws the animal out of balance okay mm -hmm. uh, and again uh, from the center of the loin, uh, to the bottom of the, of the quarter uh, is the high price cuts. And so we would hope that there would be as much there as we can put in them without causing being round or tight or like a muscle-bound athlete. Uh, that, that, uh, there's, there's breeds that, uh, uh, that their whole existence is that. Uh, but for the, for, for the bulk of the world, uh, those... those those tight, hard-muscled cattle uh, don't have enough practicality and, and productivity to them 
uh, particularly on the on the maternal side. Let's talk about structure when we're back here too. Now I know we've talked a lot about feet and legs already, but the fact is, Dave, when you're behind them, um, you're looking at things there too as it relates to structure and muscle. So uh, earlier in the conversation, you talked about cattle that hawk in. And I think there's another uh, piece of judging that's very easy for a lot of people, no matter how much experience they have, to identify. We, we've all seen those animals that are, they call them cow hawked, or they really turn their hawks in towards one another. But there's an opposite of that, cattle that bow out at their hawks. I want you to break down uh, fundamentally for us what a correct hawk set is, what good base width is. Explain that a little bit to our listeners. I mean, I guess from that back view, uh, we, we've got we got it, it. It has everything to do with 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 the muscularity and, and the way that ties into the skeletal the undercarriage. Uh, you know, that animal needs to have some some dimension, some width, some depth, and some shape of muscle. Muscle carry down deep into his quarter from his from his hock bones or his legs into his into his hind quarter. We need to we need to. Now that inner part of that connection should show some muscularity and some shape to it, uh, and, and some product. The, the 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 skeletal width then comes into play. Is does the animal's base width or how far their hocks are apart fit the rest of the animal? And 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 and, and is it practical uh, in its design? Is it not too wide? Is it not too narrow? You need to have a a, a, a hock that's set square. Uh, from behind, because that probably is also tied to how uniform his toes are, uh, and and then is how much deviation happens when the animal go, begins to move. What what kind of things are happening? Is do the legs go straight forward? Do they get outside themselves? Uh, uh, with their legs go outside their body wall or their body design when they try to walk and they just waddle? Uh, does a hops come in? Uh, We'd like to let that leg to maintain a squareness and a flexibility. And again, I think it's all a function of you got to have the running gear to support the product and to support the power. Amen. I love the love the way you described that right there. Here's a topic I want you to get on that's a little more I, I, controversial is too strong of a word, okay? But there's more debate about this among good cattlemen, and that's how much bone. We need now. When we talk about bone, I'm talking about the actual size of the cannon bone of the leg. A lot of that relates to the foot size, but the circumference of that. And you've heard this, I've heard this, but people who don't think we need a lot of bone in cattle say what? They say, "Heck, I eat around the bone. I leave the bone on my plate after I eat my steak. Why do you need a lot of bone? What side of the argument are you on with that? And and just explain that a little bit to us, please." I guess I'm on the side, Jake. Uh, I want them. I want them pretty stout bone, as 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 much as is practical. And again, uh, if if a great big old round knee, round jointed, big burly leg club calf uh, that can't uh, that can't flex his knee or flex his hock or, and and has no fun, flexion in his pastern, uh, I don't need that much. None of us do. The mothers and sisters uh, can't be practical, and the brothers in a commercial feeding environment are non-functional. Um, I think that the cattle uh, got to be above average in bone to to, uh, to 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 have the hardiness. I mean, it relates pretty. It relates a little bit. 
How, how many Holsteins you ever see out grazing and snow blowing uh, uh-huh. up their axe? Uh, them little bitty old frail flat shouldered things stand humped up and thin skin. Yeah. Um, I, I think they got to have some bone as long as it's it's it's, it's in check with with the angulation, the correctness, of structure. And then I take I take quite a little, Jake. Yeah, I'm with you, and I I just like the way it looks. To be honest with you, it, it, it's something I equate to power. And and, yeah, and right. as I sit here and think about it, Dave. Go back to where we started, and we talked about the things that you can learn about an animal simply looking at its head. Um, to me, I can learn a lot just by looking at the bone and the leg structure of them. I can tell a lot about how they're bred. I can tell the genetics behind them. Tell about uh, their power, their hardiness, and it's it's one of those maybe just an indication of things to come if you're having to feed these things for a living and make some money at the feed bunk or on the gain and. It tells you a lot about what the potential of those cattle are, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely, the versatility of them. You know, uh, there's a lot of a lot of kinds of cattle that have to survive in a lot of kinds of environments, and those kinds of things we're talking about will work in all of them. So this is super cool. I mean, let's let's recap a little bit what has just happened here. You know, we we begin the conversation by saying, "Hey, let's admit it." You know. There are a lot of us in the business who aren't comfortable with our ability to either properly analyze cattle or uh, maybe to a lesser extent describe what it is we're seeing or communicate what it is that we want. And now we've talked about everything, Dave, with you from feet and leg structure to the front third, the middle third, and the rear third of an animal. We've talked about the rear view when we look at muscle and body and bone. Um... The cool part about this for you listening at home now is that you've been giving, uh, given a whole set of tools now that you can take and do your own personal assessment of your own cattle using the very same uh, tactics and abilities that Dave Duello has and that many other people use. And this is what I think, Dave, people need to do with this information is I would encourage you to do a real honest, don't lie to yourself, do a real honest evaluation of your current strengths and weaknesses in your herd. Because whether it's Dave and Duello Cattle Company, or you have so many choices out there, but there are genetics that you can make quick changes with now, Dave. And and that's the other side of the coin. Once you do a personal evaluation on your cattle, this is where it gets pretty fun to me, if you'll be honest and say, this is where we need improvement. Once you learn to recognize the traits in these animals, you can go out and pick the ones that will fill in some of the holes you may have, right? Absolutely, and and I think it's important to. Uh, I'd like to go back just a little bit, sure. or, or or I think it's important when trying to train people what correct is uh, in terms of side view, muscle, bone, rear view, front view, and I'm going to tie this back to to, to my assessment of balance. We talk about a need to learn those angles to, and those shapes and those dimensions and those proportions and all those kind of things. We need to learn that from the side, from the front, and from the back. But when we get it and we become comfortable with ourselves, I personally, whether I'm in a, in a, in a, in a show ring or whether I'm sorting cattle, and this probably comes... Uh, it, it, uh, after my coaching days, uh, 
become more pronounced and more robust to me. If I only get one view, I want a rear three-quarter and or a front three-quarter. And that's why I like to tie balance to more than just a side view. I think, I think you can get a glimpse of, 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 of depth and of, of shape and of flexibility and of a lot of things, particularly on a maxed out Harry one, uh, with a front or a rear three-quarter view. And it also, from a practical standpoint, that, that became more clear in my mind when a part of my life was trying to take care of 25,000 breeding cattle on 14 states. And they're coming down the alley three or 300 an hour, and you got to make a decision. And, and get a good get a good get a good a good evaluation of one at two or three hundred an hour. That's the view I'll take. I was going the exact same place, and I was gonna, you know, the point I was gonna make is that's how ninety percent of the the real cattlemen in this business are making their decisions. Those cattle are probably coming at them at a trot in a yep. ten foot alley, and you've got how many seconds to say in or out, yep. uh, in or by. And yep. that is the angle that you're going to look at them. They're, they're probably yep. moving towards you or moving away from you, and it's a split-second decision, but it's such a big and, decision. And you take it back to the show ring, and, and, and that will be your favorite view. Mm -hmm. Totally agree with Coming that. Coming in a three-quarter, passing by at a, at a profile, and leaving at a three-quarter, you can see it all, and you can see it fast. Yep, yeah, totally agree. If that is a great point. If you're comfortable with what, with what you're wanting to see. Or not I hope at this point in the podcast we really have given some people some hope and some inspiration and they're a little fired up now about doing some of these evaluations. But let's take it just one step farther here as we come to the end of our interview. Give us, a, just in a nutshell, Dave, what type should we be selecting for? I mean, we broke down the parts and pieces, but we can't get so analytical that we lose the big picture. So I want you to nutshell this for us. Where do you think we're at in the business today as far as the right and wrong kind of cattle that we should be breeding or selecting? I mean, I've I, I made mention before, it's just personal. Um, I think these breeding heifers of all breeds have gone way, way overboard uh, on angularity uh, and, and refinement. you got to keep some power in the cattle, and they gotta, they got to they gotta be at a... They got to be big enough to be heavy and and they're big enough to perform uh, without being too big. That that the product at the end of the day will fit in the box. Uh, and that and then and, and the absolute mature size has got to fit your environment. Um, and uh, that doesn't mean it's going to fit everyone's, but it's got to fit your environment and your customers' environment for anywhere down the chain, from show heifers to feedlot cattle. Uh, it has just got to be practical. They've got to have some power to them. Types and fads come and go. The, you keep you keep the broody bodied, easy fleshing, big barrel, heavy milking, highly fertile, super sound, stout mama cows. You can go any direction the world thinks they want to go for a period of time. Nobody ever said, geez, I screwed up because I had too much of that in my cow herd. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are things that are timeless. It don't matter yep. if we're in the 50s, the 70s, yep. 2020. Those are money makers at any era in the business, aren't they? Stout, I mean, for me, I mean, a, 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 a powerful, stout sound, good looking. Uh, and that sounds pretty, you know, uh, I'm not going to get hung up on, on one that doesn't walk like a show dog, but he better be sound. Mm -hmm. uh, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, 
in the steer side of things. I think we've taken way too much muscle out of these show steers uh, just 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 to make them walk like a damn show, a show horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sound and practically sound and, and walking a big a big butted stout one until he steps on a rock and so you can say that he isn't sound. Uh, there's too many judges doing it now. They got to be stout. And mm-hmm. they got to be sound, and they got to be practical. And you damn right, I like a maxed out, good looking one better. You betcha. There, there's no, and we're going to have to do all the things we got to do to keep these things alive. We want to look at one that's pretty darn attractive. Yeah. I totally right. agree with you there. All right, that's pretty fun. Let's have a little more fun, Dave. This is the part of the podcast, and if you've listened to this, we do it with all of our guests. Except, and I have to apologize and do this right now to Clay Williams. If you haven't listened to the Clay Williams episode. You need to go back and do that, listeners, because it's extremely powerful. But at the end of it, I forgot to do, we were having this serious conversation, and I forgot to do this part of the uh, podcast, which we call Stock Shows and Burritos, and Clay has not let me live it down since. So, Clay, buddy, apologies. We're going to get you back on here and and do you proper on that. But, Dave, this is the part of of the show where we let our hair down a little bit, and we have some fun. It's called Stock Shows and Burritos. And like I said earlier, when we were talking about those briskets, I love to cook a big old brisket and get some friends over and dive into that stuff. And of course, I think most of us listening to this podcast, we love to go to cattle shows and be in the barns and show with our friends. And so we call on our guests to talk a little bit about this. And I just have to thank Dave, with your background, I mean, you've been in purebred marketing for, for other ranches. You, you market and raise your own cattle now. You've been on champion livestock judging teams and then coach livestock judging teams. You have to have some pretty epic stories from the road. Can you share a great story or a great memory from your time in the business with us? Gosh, Jake, I, uh, to be honest with you, I, I was hoping you were going to forget that, but forget it today. <laughs> I'm, not too, I'm not too good at that stuff, this stuff. But, I mean, there's, there's been so many. Uh, and 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 some of the some of the best ones uh, you, uh, I wouldn't want to repeat necessarily on <laughs> public radio or TV or podcast in, in the world. Not to, You're not the first one anything, to say that. <laughs> they were anything but uh, just a little bit branchy, you know. Uh, but I I, I guess in, in general, I got an opportunity to judge the big time steer shows at a very young age, mm. uh, and. Uh, I, I I still remember the hair standing up on my neck, uh, uh, judging. I've I've had fortune to judge Fort Worth Steer Show uh, four times, and wow. the first time I guess I was I don't know for sure twenty six maybe wow. seventeen eighteen hundred steers uh, maxed out and hairy and good, and 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 if anybody if you have anybody that digs steer shows that hadn't seen Fort Worth, you got to go. Uh, and, and, and I guess what I'm saying, I've, judged, I've, judged, I've been lucky to judge a lot of things, you know, and you judge a lot of them, Jake, and you know that feeling when, 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 that, when, when he walks in the ring or she walks in the ring, he's just like, there it is. That's there what I was waiting is. for today. That's, that's why I do this. That's why I leave my cows and spend three days and make 200 bucks. Uh, this is why I do this. <laughs> there he is. The thing about Fort Worth, you get to do, you get that you get that high third, twenty or thirty times mm. as a twenty six year old man, and that, that, the judging has always been something I 
I, I, I get heckled a lot about why I never smile when I judge. I, did, I take it damn serious. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I got, it's got my 100% attention. And uh, I, uh, I guess I didn't go there to, to, to get in the picture, you know what I mean? Um, or, yeah. or to get a pretty candid. Uh, I really do. I, I, I take it serious. Uh, and I, I just get uh, completely involved. It felt I so appreciate your heart on that. And that's a great way to end that. And, um, you know, that's been echoed on this podcast as well. Again, one of our good interviews was with, with a, a mutual friend, Kirk Steerwald, and he's described judging as a just a continuous like chess match with yourself or like playing a hand of cards, you know, and you're just trying to work through it. And, and I'm very much the same way. I wouldn't be uh, accused of being too uh, smiling too much at a show, but it is. It, it's serious, and uh, the gravity of it hits me when I think about you know, I showed up last night, and I'm judging today. Some of these people showed up a week ago and have been doing everything they can do to these cattle for the last week to make them look the very best for this 10, 15-minute moment they have with me in the ring. Yeah. And that yeah. puts it into perspective. And then before that, I mean, they, they drove to 20 different sales to pick out this one. They've done everything they could to feed it, groom it, grow hair on this thing, you know, spent crazy amounts of money on all this stuff to get it ready. And yes. um, it is a very serious, important thing, and I, I appreciate your heart on that a lot, and I agree with you. Well, thanks, sir. Well, let's wrap this thing up. Dave Duello, awesome interview. And we try to add value on this podcast and, and genuinely uh, give content that will help people, that will grow people, that will help them learn and be better cattlemen, and you have certainly contributed to that today. We thank you so much, first and foremost. I know you're busy. It's a crazy time of the year, so thanks for being on the show, man. You bet, Jake. I, uh, I appreciate it, my friend, and uh, I, uh, I really enjoy what you're doing with this. It's got to take a lot of time and, and a lot of thought and a lot of effort on your part, and uh, I know I, sh- I sure enjoy your, your, your podcast. Nice job. Before, Glad to be here. I appreciate that. And before you get off here, let everybody at home know how they can learn more about Dave Duello and Duello Cattle Company. I know keep in touch now. We talked about Denver. We talked about some changes. But uh, there will be many, many more breaking stories and, and news developments here that you're going to want to follow. So, Dave, how can they keep up with the latest from Duello Cattle Company? Yeah, uh, DuelloCattle.com. Uh, but probably... Probably a better place is uh, just Duello Cattle on Facebook. I'm not a Facebooker, uh, but the Reed girls help me with, from a promotional standpoint and, and uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, that'll probably be the the, the first course of uh, uh, of announcing what we're going to do uh, as it relates to something to replace the Western Elite, uh, etc. We've also got some really exciting things coming up the block. Uh, this Icon Bull is going to make an impact. The first crop of calves are here. And we were going to unveil those Icon Bull calves in Denver. Uh, so I don't know where that's going to happen yet, but uh, it'll be worth watching. I can't remember if it was your Facebook, but you had some information out on Icon. And wow, that's eye candy. If you All the things we talked about today, when you get all that put together and you get one made right, it's going to look a whole lot like this Icon Bull that Dave's talking about. So do follow him. He looks like uh, something really interesting to me. Yeah, thank you. Okay, Dave, great interview. Thanks for being on the show. And, folks, thank you for joining us. I can't tell you how much we appreciate the support. Our downloads are growing faster than we ever anticipated. Thank you for the positivity, the encouragement, the feedback you've given us. It helps us so much to get these interviews in front of more and more people with 
high-quality people like Dave Duello here, if you will rate us on iTunes or Spotify, leave a review, write some comments. That just helps us get the word out to that many more people. So thank you folks for listening as well. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Cattle Pros Podcast. Mm-hmm.